So, should we talk some rock and roll? Yeah. Opposing the government and opposing the Conservatives. I'm afraid it's the hard left who want to tighten their control. They want to uh, sideline uh, moderate voices. I don't think anybody should be surprised about that is the nature of the hard left. And of course, we know that the hard left famously cannot tolerate any who dissent. Who are the hard left, well, We know who the hard left are. We're in the you know, ascendancy I, I, within, the, within the Labour Party who associate with the hard left. You just said that we were right, to right wing. The hard left agenda, printing money, nationalisation without compensation, that sort of hard left-wing position. Hard sort of left, the hard 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 left, hard left, hard left, the hard left, the hard left, hard left, hard left, the hard left, 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 the hard left, the hard left, 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 the hard left, the hard left, 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 It's a few months since we last sat down for a conversation on, on this, so I, I, I can't remember when we recorded it, but that episode where you and I discussed my new album and then Tom joined us towards the end, that came out. Uh, Tom will like definitely be asleep now, by the way, so I don't think that's going to happen this time. <laughs> too late. But that was in July, or maybe it was early August when we put out the behind-the-scenes interview EPK documentary thing that we did. The album itself came out on the 18th of July, because I know I know I released yeah. it two days before my birthday. It's certainly not been long. You've been prolific. I mean, this record is sort of like it's the product of the summer. As soon as I finished the last record, Patterns, I started recording new tracks to the point that one of them played at the end of that episode that we did uh, like uh, as oh, in nice they're, they're... I, I don't know if i actually listened to the episode <laughs> yeah well i'm not too surprised Tell you about a band from a doo-wop lineage Who in 75 lit up Miami Beach Comprised of Billy Ralph and Neil and Danny Poncho and Neil's Guitars so guts will make you run for the hills The antithesis of Stephen Stills With jams that hit you like a psychedelic pill Some drummers swing like a metronome But only Ralph Molina really cuts to the bone What would Ralph Molina do? It's the beat of the heart, the only beat that's true I like John Bonham and I like Keith Moon the Ralph Molina is the realest dude. There, there was basically a load of outtakes from that album, and I made a little outtakes collection that came out after that episode, which was called um, Forgotten Patterns But Never Forgiven. 
um, and I basically wanted a clean slate on the next record, so none of the seven outtakes um, that featured on um, Forgotten Patterns and Never Forgiven, because the rest were all covers or um, alternative takes of songs that featured on Patterns. None of them were carried over to mm. this record, but I mean, even a lot of the music I initially recorded for the project didn't get used on my record. So, like, I started recording tracks that were pretty much all about rock music or inspired by rock music. Well, I mean, all of them are musically inspired by rock music because they are uh, rock music, but, 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 but were inspired by, like, the mythology of rock music. So, pretty much, I think the first thing I wrote was a track called what would Ralph Molina do? And that played at the end of that episode because I had talked about how the drumming on the album, the ultra straightforward boom boom thing I did on my totally rudimentary percussion kit was um, yeah. inspired by Ralph Molina from Crazy Horse to a great extent and that he, he's my favourite drummer. So I I wrote a song expressing that same sentiment with a line like sort of disparaging David Crosby for disparaging Ralph Molina and Crazy Horse while he, you know, Crazy Horse were making great records while Crosby was just off like fucking himself up on crack. Uh, oh, well, on, on sorry, on freebase cocaine. <laughs> but, but then the next song I wrote was one where I was empathising with David Crosby for his problems with addiction for his imprisonment in the 80s and it's a great if i do say so myself it's kind of rip a rip off of the seeker by the who and you'll know you'll know when you hear it but it's i love that track i don't want to live in no halfway house and i'm hoping right so before i've even talked about this new album <laughs> that i'm supposed to be here promoting to you today i'm hoping that the next album uh, that song <laughs> I Don't Want to Live in a Halfway House will feature alongside songs like What Would Ralph Molina Do? I Haven't Got a Working Record Player and <laughs> songs about songwriting. That that was a more recent one that was written, I think, after most of the songs on Ghost Horizon, the, the new one. Um, yeah. And there's definitely more. There's one called The End of the American Band where the lyrics are just like gibberish, but I like the title, so I'm going to rewrite it so that it's a tribute to <laughs> some great lost American singer-songwriters who I love, like Jason Molina and David Berman, who led great bands and met tragic ends, unfortunately, but who deserve to be remembered as some of the great band leaders of American music. And, you know, you know, I love American rock. It's my, it's my shit. <laughs> you don't <laughs> Yeah, there's plenty of British bands I like, but I play American music. In fact, all rock it, artists play definitely. American music. <laughs> so, so basically what I'm saying is that that'll be yeah, the I think you've even said to me once back in our uni days that when you sing, you sing with an American accent. And, well, uh, I do. It's definitely discernible. Yeah. I, yeah, and I don't think that's like a big thing. Like, I mean, you know, pretty much everyone since like the Beatles is 
yeah. done that a bit. Like, well, but I'd say the Stones more than the Beatles because the Stones, again, the Stones are like American. They're an American band when they play music, but the Beatles, they did like to sing in a proper Liverpool accent on occasion, particularly. I uh, get what you're saying. They've yeah. all got that transatlantic lilt to them. I think it's just a thing of rock. And then there's loads of pop punk bands, a genre I hate. They always sound like they're trying to sound like a snotty British Cockney from 77, like all of them. They. But it's terrible because they just, they sound like an American nerd doing that voice. So it's just literally the worst accent, (laughs) the worst whine you could possibly imagine. Just, oh God. Anyway. Give uh, us some examples of artists like this. I kind of know what you're talking about, but some more concrete examples. Well, pop punk, (laughs) pop punk is like the Blink 182s and stuff, isn't it? Oh, okay. That scene. It's not, not, uh. It's not for me. Like, what if uh, punk, but minus everything good about punk? But uh, Ghost Horizon is like the second record in what will probably be a trilogy of 2019 albums, which will probably be followed by an album called Rock Songs, which will feature basically the tracks that started the Ghost Horizon record, but didn't make it onto the album itself. Right on, right on. Yeah, it sounds like you got a lot of thematic ideas to tie this trilogy, as you said it up. What one of my favorite R and B singers, The Weeknd, he made three albums in a year, and they got released later on when he got signed by a proper label as a lovely box set, which I own on CD. So, so yeah, I, I, you know, I think I think it's doable. Three albums in one year. I mean, this album. Yeah. I was talking last time to you about how I wanted the record to fit on two sides of vinyl. The last one probably wouldn't without the quality being degraded slightly. This record is 37 minutes long. I think this would fit fine on two sides of vinyl, actually. True. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? As much as I definitely did like your last release, I feel like you really came into your own here. Thank you. I really loved Ghost Horizon. I feel like it stands up as a honest wide released american rock album uh, <laughs> thank, you. Like... <laughs> thank you especially on the american front there <laughs> <laughs> i'm I really mean, beginning glad. with the interestingly titled side two I don't believe in a land beyond everything And I'd have my suspicions very clearly true But I know I believe in something And at least the mystic power of To turn it over to Side two, obviously, I thought it's a bit of a, just a contrarian move to put that as side one, track one. Uh, yeah, side two obviously starts with um, the very different um, Paul Fellows of the Earth. But side one, yeah, uh, 
so side two was originally B-side to Paul Fell Over the Earth, because these were uh, the first two songs that I put out from the record. I, right. I, I think I might have released Fucking Vindicated as just a little bonus for, uh, it was like at the end of a Real Politic Patreon episode for our fans, and then I put it at, at the end of a proper episode, and then I released it on our SoundCloud as a, a, a sort of a single. But the previous single release from this album before that was Paul Fell Over the Earth, backed with Side 2. And basically, like, I'd, I'd um, forgotten to save the Audacity files for those two tracks, so <laughs> basically I was left with a thing of, like, either I declared them finished or I re-recorded them. So there's a version of Side 2 on the Real Politics SoundCloud, which is much more of what the song's original goal was, which was to channel the sound and vibe of Side 2 of Neil Young's On the Beach, hmm. particularly the song Ambulance, the songs Ambulance, Blues and Motion Pictures. I think Side On the Beach is my favourite album, and Side 2 of On the Beach is the, you know, the most kind of... God, I don't know how to describe it. It's otherworldly. It's so kind of stoned and strung yeah. out. I mean, it's beautiful and it's dark and it's kind of it's it's just it's not yeah it's not of this world man it's really it it, it, it shares with some of the later tracks on the album this sort of melancholic i almost want to call it crooning but i don't feel like that does it justice (laughs) i mean i'm not pushing my voice on that one no it's 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 my lower register for sure i mean i'm not (laughs) it's if anything the vocal tick on that one is the way that i stretch out certain uh notes like transit you know <laughs> it's yeah. uh there's a strange like rhythm to the vocals but well i i felt i had to re-record that track because on the original i'd recorded the acoustic guitar at the same time as the vocals and then once i started overdubbing other tracks the lyrics became a bit faint especially because it's not like a song where i'm belting it out so i wanted to record it where i could isolate i could sing a vocal track without playing an instrument and so the vocals could be at the forefront of the mix and and then i i I added some drums to it which the original it just had the original just had some kind of like off out of time bongos just going throughout it and a really fucked phased slide guitar which i tuned to totally like the wrong notes and was just like getting strange chord voicings from I just I did it as a like a slightly more conventional like country rock track. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought that it was just like a nice breezy start to the album. I don't know, it's 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 like really repetitive musically. It doesn't change throughout the whole thing. It's the same three chords over and over again. I'm just like fucking about with like turning up and down the volume of the electric guitar and it starts with like a big heavy note of electric guitar and then that doesn't really return much because I'm just turning it around. And then I'm fucking around uh, getting a really kind of like <laughs> sound from, uh, <laughs> from shaking the, uh, the, little, the little knob on, uh, on the top of my guitar. Whatever. I should oh, definitely yeah. know all the words for these things. <laughs> I've been playing guitar for like a decade. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
but no it does get that great intro feeling and i think it does lead wonderfully into track two that tombstone blues tombstone bones tombstone tombstone bones i keep wondering Uh, me too man Uh, i've got the lyrics literally open in front of me (laughs) because tombstone bones is uh sorry fuck tombstone blues is a bob dylan song it's the second track on highway 61 revisited it was a great song actually i remember my dad listening to highway 61 revisited when we were on holiday many years ago and obviously mm. i knew like a rolling stone because it was like on the bob dylan best of it was a staple of our car journeys for, for many oh, many yeah. years but tombstone blues when i heard that you know um just <laughs> mad lyrics for jack the ripper who sits at the head of the table of commerce i i had about 50 stray lines from a song all come into my head at once there uh, <laughs> i wish i could write you a melody so plain that would haul you and maul you and drive you insane i think it's something like that but um yeah uh yeah t- sorry tombstone blues yeah, sorry. Ob- tombstone ob- bones i meant yeah <laughs> The commander-in-chief answers him while chasing a fly Saying death to all those who would whimper and cry And dropping a barbell he points to the sky Saying the sun's not yellow, it's chicken Mama's in a factory, she ain't got no shoes Daddy's in the alley, he's looking for food I am in the kitchen with the tombstone blues was the title a reference? Was it? No, it wasn't. It was just a phrase that I I, 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 I know. It was just came into my head and I noted it down thinking it sounded cool. But but maybe subconsciously, you know. And something I didn't do consciously was because obviously Tombstone Blues is track two on, on its nine song album as well. But I, <laughs> right. but I did not, I, I wasn't actually thinking. The reason I put it as track two was because it starts with the acapella. When you're, I just thought it would be good to just kind of kick into this kick right into this new track like with the lyrics without a kind of extended musical intro or something after side side two when you're feeling alone down to your tombstone bones weighed down by heavy stones in the great unknown you've been fucked up for miles watching frozen smiles and you couldn't even force you a fake one Life isn't soulless in the party zone Little serotonin to call your own And you even start to wonder If you won't lose your sense of wonder Oh, oh, these tombstone bones A lock and bear withstand these sticks and stones What once seemed it would pass Now just seems to last the mercy of you and just on on, on side two of the, the song rather than the second side of the album of course which i probably have to reiterate forever when this album becomes the monster hit it deserves to be but they, uh, there are a lot of similarities between patterns and this album one of them is for both albums i went for a laid-back start to it both albums have some like heavy music on them but I've gone with a kind of mellow start. This one, it's more kind of like country rock. With I, I don't really think there's, I don't really think there's much of that. To Sunrise on the City, the song that opens the previous album. But yes, mm. I too, I had like about four, five, six, whatever kind of hard rockers, and I could have opened the album with any of them. I just thought that, nah, you know, I'll ease people in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, I meant Tombstone Bones. This song and the next one in particular spoke to me on a personal level. Oh man, yeah, I'm glad. Really. Particularly, I mean, I do like the start when you're feeling alone, down to your Tombstone Bones, like you say, a cappella. It speaks to you. It literally, you're speaking to me. You know. Uh, oh, I'm glad, uh, man. But then the verse where you're lifeless and soulless in the party zone, little serotonin to call your own. And I'm just like, you know me, I'm a drug nerd and yeah. I'm obsessed with like psychological chemistry and I, I pretty much any, any reference to serotonin is going to be like, okay, I get this. <laughs> <laughs> this whole song and the next one, Fickle, it reminds me a lot of a lot of the stuff that I'm going through or have been through with mental health and feeling especially because uh you know i got bipolar mm. and some days like literally i think two days ago i felt like one minute i was on top of the world and then it would just be like five minutes later i want to cry and curl up into and so yeah. fickleness obviously does speak to me <laughs> yeah way. well on the final verse of fickle i do say maybe it's a byproduct of depression swinging from mm. mood, mood to mood in short intense sessions i'm i'm well aware of of you know how my because yeah but these two songs are like totally just about how I'm, i feel and yeah i'm well aware that definitely my mental health probably plays into my fickleness the fact that one minute i'm focused on something and then maybe if i slightly lose interest and then there'll be a switch pulled in my brain and I won't have the energy to focus on that thing anymore and maybe I can focus on something yeah. else. Swinging from mood to mood in short intense sessions Tell me some of life's most valuable lessons I'm fickle as fuck, you know What I'm quoting today might not mean shit to me tomorrow The words I steal and the codes I borrow Might not be real enough to stand by Yeah, I'm fickle, baby I'm a fickle kind of guy I'm so fickle, baby Yeah, I'm fickle yeah, I'm fickle, baby I'm so fickle I'm so fickle, baby I'm so fickle I'm so fickle, baby But it's really hard to commit fully to something when I'm not into it you know, exactly. fickle. I, I, I will. I will say, like, I mean, I've ha I've definitely like fallen out with a lot of friends and stuff. But the song's not really about being fickle about people. The line "You can be my number one for a number of weeks." I'm not really like that with people where I only like them for a number of weeks. That's more about bands, you know. That's more about how yeah. I'll, I'll listen obsessively to a band for like a few weeks and then I'll move on to the next thing. But you know, you can have that with people as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or at least it can come across that way to other people sometimes. Yeah. Uh, even if you don't mean it to. And yeah, I do get this sense of both what my counselor calls radical acceptance, like just sort of accepting who you are, this is how I am, and 
I'm going to be the best me I can be, but also this desire to change, this desire that I, I, I wish I, I wasn't, in the case of Fickle, so fickle you know yeah um, yeah well i mean it's definitely it's a foible of mine Uh, i'm fickle to a fault lines like that i mean yeah i'm well aware that it's not necessarily the best thing if i find it very difficult to commit to things like i say i mean it can work out when it means that i you know complete an album in a couple of months or the extraordinary run of real politic that we had for a couple of months just before our account suspension kind of set things off balance a bit when i was i was wanted to take a few days off anyway and stuff but i could work out how to channel it but then you know the fact that it can't or you know then it can just stop that is that is that's a big concern to me you know for sure when you've got the inspiration you've got the inspiration you can do anything and when you don't you don't yeah i mean to be fair with music one of the things that i've found is that luckily i'm i'm at a point where i mean i i'm running out i don't have as many songs that i think are actually really good like really strong that i would as i would like but i have like a certain amount of songs that i can draw from to at least if if i want to record a song but i don't have anything written i don't feel i can write something i can use elements from something that i've written in the past to kickstart something or i can just straightforwardly think how would I make that song like one of these songs on here? I'm not entirely sure how I got onto that from like fickleness talking. It's a creative method that I found to keep me making stuff. Yeah. Which at times has worked with the podcast as well. When you find something to talk about, you do it and then it's out there. It can be hard to sustain that kind of momentum, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. Definitely. <laughs> and yeah and, and tombstone bones yeah it's like fuck I, I was not feeling good when i wrote that track you know that's a really oh yeah I you know that. well you know all right so the biggest inspiration on that track is that's just the way that i feel the first track on purple mountains self-titled debut and i don't know if you know but i won't say most people because unfortunately the guy is not the household name that he should have been but well after david berman wrote the purple mountains album he took his own life just before he was about to tour it so the stuff that i yeah the stuff that i was drawing inspiration from when i went to that track was not the most fucking upbeat stuff i heard the purple mountains record and i thought this is you know david berman split up the silver jews in early 2009 they hadn't made a record since 2008 and he went pretty much silent for 10 years and Mm. then he came back with this new record and it's a fucking great record great songs but you kind of listened and you thought fuck this guy is not okay you know just get just get the lyrics to that's just the way i I, actually i know the lyrics Uh, that's i've listened to the song so much uh which is worrying but it's such a (laughs) cat it's such a catchy and upbeat song about depression or whatever. yeah and yeah, it, it, yeah it, you can totally have that <laughs> it, i mean some of the album is really devastatingly sad and the music reflects it but there's certain songs on there you know that it's just kind of like this guy who's like a depressed although we couldn't really predict it depressed literally to the point of ending his own life like has made this music that's just so fucking like kick ass you know you can make this hilarious because it is a really funny album country rock just rollicking kind of wonderful music well i don't like talking to myself but someone's gotta say it hell i mean things have not been going 
I could like not write these songs, but then I'd just be depressed. At least this way, I'm depressed, but I've got this. This <laughs> I've got this finished product. You know, I yeah. ra- I'd rather there be this product of it than than there not be. And so I was super inspired by that, and I was super inspired by it before he killed himself. But it, you know, I was absolutely devastated when he did i tried to record a cover version of that's just the way that i feel i couldn't do it though because it's too much him it's not a song that can really be covered so the lyrics to that and that also i mean fuck all right and so so i like just like in the last one i'm going i'm probably in this in the course of this conversation going to own up to most of the, the acts of plagiarism con- committed on this record. <laughs> but that song starts with an a cappella. Uh, well, I don't like talking to myself. Band kicks in. But somebody's got to say it. Hell, I mean, things have not been going well. This time I think I finally fucked myself. You see, the life I live is sickening. I spent a decade playing chicken with oblivion. Day and day I'm neck and neck with giving in. I'm the same old wreck I've always been. Just as an example of like how funny that particular song is. The final verse is, I met failure in Australia. I fell ill in Illinois. I nearly, <laughs> I nearly lost my genitalia to an anthill in Des Moines. I was, <laughs> I was so far gone in Fargo, South Dakota got annoyed. That's the shit I'm talking about when I talk to you about ceaseless feasts of schadenfreude. It was just terrific, and I loved the musical sound in particular of that song. I know that, like me, David Berman was a huge fan of country music, and his shit was really grounded in that twang, that rollick that you get from, yeah. f- from a good country jam. And uh, some really excellent lyricism there. Superb. I mean, uh, presumably we're still talking about Berman rather than my song, which... Uh, yeah, which, well... Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in both as, cases, but yeah, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, thank you. And yeah, I can't remember if I wrote that song before or after his suicide, but I was definitely inspired by the Purple Mountains record and how laid bare he was on that. I don't think I laid myself as bear on tombstone bones as the songs on berman's record i think i lacked the courage to do so and there's still an element of poetic obfuscation
definitely do feel a certain level of honesty there. And actually, another reason I wanted to bring this up was that I think it's interesting that you chose out of, I'm sure I've sent you quite a few pictures of my various drawings and paintings. Yeah. You, you happen to choose one in particular because it represents a Paul over the earth, I think you said. Absolutely. Like one of your songs. Yeah, that was um, the. It, I chose that as the artwork for the Paul over the earth slash side two single, and then that I thought, well, this should be the album, the artwork for the album itself. Yeah, and I think it's certainly absolutely fitting for that song. But in particular, in Tombstone Bones, I did notice a certain a vicarious sort of exorcising your demons in a way yeah. through song yeah uh, and the painting that you chose happened to be one that i painted when i was in an extremely bleak place so I was, really uh, between jobs i was hopelessly single and lonely and i was very much contemplating suicide but i read a book mm. that spoke about this sort of concept of vicarious suicide, of pouring your self-hatred into a work of art. Wow. And getting rid of it that way. And that's why I painted that painting. Wow. And, and that's almost like what David Berman was talking about in that interview, you know, expunging something. Exactly. Yeah. So I just thought, weird sort of little coincidence there. Um and very fitting well you know i thought that it was a, a beautiful painting when i saw it i didn't have any idea what circumstances in your life had inspired it i mean i remember you saying the last one was a very lsd inspired painting is yeah. with, with, was there any kind of hallucinogenic element to this one or is it really just a, a pure expression of, of the soul i worked on it over a long period of time including okay. a few times when i was definitely on hallucinogens all ah, right yeah. <laughs> the original source of the idea was completely sober it was just i wanted to put my pain on canvas and that's why it looks like there's like blood i burned holes in the canvas yeah I, yeah it looks like that yeah <laughs> i did water damage deliberately to it i was just like how can i fuck this up as much as my insides feel like they're fucked up you know yeah you might not be able to make it out in the album art version but the little black writing is actually various little quotes from say the havadal uh, havamal i forget if yeah, how it said that you know that Norse religion book, um, okay, and other classical texts all about suicides. Uh, uh, wow, okay, uh, okay, that no, this is this is more fitting than I thought for the record. You know, and um, are, are you going to send me like a higher quality image of the picture then? Yeah, I'll certainly try to. Yeah, yeah, because that um, that would be great. Like you know, get the full benefit. But you know, I think the fact that you did pour so much of yourself into this image now I, f I think i can see that that was what i f thought gave it that impact to really encapsulate you know a pool falling over the earth you know to, yes. to, uh, it really does it wasn't just a superficial thing if it seems to be like there's something amassing at the top of the picture like there's something building in the sky um mm. yeah i just think it looked so apocalyptic and raw that i thought yeah this pretty much shows because that's one of the 
not so personal songs on the album actually pull fell over the earth that's the hmm. uh, that's actually a rare political song for crazy moose you don't really get we're not a protest <laughs> act but yeah you actually get that i don't know if we want to keep going through the album in order in song order you know, if you want to talk about paul talk about paul yeah. paul sounds like he's is our mate paul <laughs> i'm <mate> paul <laughs> <laughs> Maka. Paul fell over the earth No one bleak day But over time Some said it was a phase These things come and go But the black clouds stayed Some worked in the factories Some worked out in the field Toiling on the land Tilling the soil song but they had a guest on there whose name i can't remember and i looked it up and she's called tammy Faye starlight so check her out she was doing a show where she performed marianne faithful's great 1979 album broken english which is like an amazing record it's got this kind of bleak post-punk sound with really kind of like scabrous sexual lyrics and it was when she just kind of got off the uh she she basically you know marianne faithful was mick jagger's girlfriend for a long time and uh then she, she was a pop star in her own right had some big singles and then she kind of just went in the deep end with smack and yeah she like was homeless for a while it shows just how far she fell because she was basically an aristocrat <laughs> so she came from a super privileged background and went from that right. to like living on the streets and i'm super interested in how she really did become from a pop star to a you know basically a, a you know a homeless person to this really really interesting almost like post punky kind of singer for a little while why you do what she said ain't nothing to laugh you just tore all our kisses right in Cunt in my bed 
So I was listening to this interview with this woman who'd been putting on a performance of the Broken English album, and she mentioned how when Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher got in from 79 to 80, it was like a pool fell over the earth. I think she said world, but I I, I thought like uh, earth sounded better. I was sort of sloshing the two about in my head for a little bit, and, and earth was the one that bowled up to the top. Yeah, I got to agree with earth. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> or maybe she did say Earth. Apologies to woman whose name I can't remember. But you know, this is really doing her dis- a disservice because she seemed like a really interesting person. But apologies if it actually was Earth. So this is a song where I talk about the encroachment of neoliberalism on every facet of society there's one rule for the rich sack of shit for the poor yeah i mean that's kind of that's a little cheap device it's like uh, it's almost i carried it over from an outtake from the last album where i sang um rich man just gets richer poor man gets it in the neck so there's there's some there's uh, something like that line maybe but it's true yeah it's it is it it is true (laughs) but i personally prefer the line after that which is yeah sure it's always been something like this only now it's now more. it's more <laughs> yeah i mean yeah. that that cracks me up man because i mean it's true isn't it like it's just we we, we had an unequal capitalist system before sure. thatcher and reagan the workers did not live in a paradise with the post-war consensus but it's just got way way fucking worse i since. mean i'll even go back to feudalism it wasn't great for peasants but they still only worked <laughs> for about half of the year compared uh, to nowadays yeah (laughs) well i mean you know i've there's lines like every man for himself in the arcade of pain where human life's the most competitive game that's that's probably my favorite line in the song um uh, but i I, to be fair like i do like i say with with that thing of yes sure it's always been something like this i do try and acknowledge that capitalism pre-1979-80 was not like a paradise you know (laughs) um yeah the the, the fact that i put when i'm talking about the industrial communities that existed before deindustrialization some worked in the factories some worked out in the fields toiling on the land tilling the soil drilling for oil i mean drilling for oil is saying well look like the (laughs) some of the stuff that the industrialized capitalism of the 20th century was doing was not necessarily like a great social good it did provide (laughs) but the whole the the whole thing the way it was structured did provide these jobs for people and of course you know coal mining coal isn't great but coal miners didn't need to all lose their jobs at once well margaret (laughs) margaret thatcher did not shut down the fucking mines because she gave a shit about the coal (laughs) mine the the, the, the impact of coal on the environment like that's an argument that it's very easy for people to make now in 2019 like oh it's bad for the environment anyway yes but what Thatcher wanted to do was to crush the political <laughs> power of the working class in the, as represented by organised labour, which I think is a little less honourable than saving the environment, personally. Maggie Thatcher, famous Prime Minister of the Green Party. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what, actually, something very interesting recently. I saw Jeremy Deller's film for BBC, Everybody in the Place, which is about Acid House and Rave in Britain in the... Oh, uh, nice. 80s and 90s it's yeah it's very good actually it's on iplayer which probably isn't much help to you because you live in america but um, uh, i can find ways to get it <laughs> uh, we have our ways but yes the film is framed around jeremy Deller telling this class of like diverse london school children I, pre- I think diverse 
just generally from around the country school children Mm. about acid house and rave and its cultural impact in britain and he talks about the minor strike and a girl asks and you can't blame her because most people who are young in this country they don't get taught about it really in school so they don't know fuck all about this but she asked was the minor strike like about the environment and and like to be fair jeremy dellard wasn't like no you ignorant fool he also understood it's very easy that someone today might think that because the environment is a talking point yeah for for people who aren't ever gonna do a fuck all about the environment you know (laughs) committed to the capitalism that results in us living in us being bought what i describe if we all reuse our plastic bags but the factories keep on spurting out their co2 it's fine well yeah exactly and you know i say in ghost horizon that we're born into a dying world and and there's a lot of stuff in ghost horizon putting aside the environmental stuff sorry ghost horizon is a line in paul fell over the earth though actually there's a ghost horizon that's a rising up and it's melding into the pool that's just you know that's my fears fears for the planet and for for society yeah you know because we live in a society you know i hate that meme actually i might edit that bit out of the episode (laughs) i find it really unfunny actually I talk about how just basically I don't like the way that capitalism in, in its neoliberal form socialises people to be, you know, looking over their shoulder, to be kind of like wanting to get one up on the other person. I, I, I you know, I hate the, the competitiveness that neoliberalism makes us think is a, a is a kind of natural part of society, you know? Yeah, it's divide and conquer. Yeah. Well, exactly. And there's a line which I, I actually... Yeah, I said I can't re-record this album, and I just thought that take was so strong that I didn't want to change it. But I can't. I mean, I can't re-record the specific song. I mean, I can't change anything about this specific song. I'd have to completely re-record it. But there's a line which is like, "How are you gonna revel in success when you know it's gonna be at someone else's expense?" And that's true, man. People who are spectacularly rich, you know, someone else is suffering for that. You know, and, and and that's yeah. everything that's everything that a, a moral person 
has in the back of their mind, you know, as they're trying to, wanting to make their own life better. You just know that someone's gonna fucking lose out, you know, and it's not, no, it's not your fault, let's not personalise this about people, because it is a system, it's not about individual choice so much. But yeah, you know, human life's the most competitive game, every day's just working out how to get your foot through the door. It is hard to enjoy even the good days, because... At the back of your mind, there's that thought that there's somebody else so much worse off. Exactly. I live a fairly comfortable life now, but I'm not happy now, and I feel a lot of a tremendous amount of complications about that. And I and you know, I think if I did somehow get spectacularly spectacularly wealthy, I would feel absolutely terrible about that. But I'm not for now. uh, I guess luckily. And then the final line is, you can kill your competition, but you're never going to kill that pool that fell over the earth. So, like, you know, you can fucking rise to the top, man. But like I say in there, A, you still might fall, and B, just because you've got out of it doesn't mean that other people are out of the shit. Just because your life is better doesn't mean the world is better. Yeah, right. Like, this whole shit about, let's go to Mars and leave all the poor people on Earth. Fuck Mars, man. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think, yeah, these fuckers, they probably just, it's probably a trick. They just want to send the poor people off to Mars instead. They're just like, oh, yeah, here's the one. You know, just go in here. It's, it, you know, it's for a test or something, and they'll shoot them up to there, and it's not even inhabitable. And the rich people are just like, hey, suckers. But no, I mean, I've said before, rich people don't want to kill all the poor because they wouldn't have anyone left to exploit. Anyway, like, so that's Paul Fell Over the Earth. I'd like to talk a little bit about this song musically. So, like, there is, like, there is bare guitar solos in this song. There is, yes. (laughs) (laughs) So it's the longest track of the album, about seven minutes long, and there is pretty much a solo whenever there's a brief respite from the singing. Have you heard Bruce Springsteen's album, Darkness on the Edge of Town? Oh, yeah, for sure. You know the song Adam Raised a Cane? Yeah. Yeah, well, Bruce's guitar playing on that. Guttural fucking like load of noise, almost kind of like Neil Young esque actually. And obviously Neil is my favourite guitarist, so Bruce is channeling him. Then fantastic. I was inspired by and also by the original single mix of magazines shot by both sides. Do you know that tune? Shot by both sides. It's familiar. Yeah. Yeah, it's a kick-ass song that they put it on their first album, and it just they cleaned up the arrangement of it they sort of it was nicely produced and it didn't have the raw power of the original but the guitar on that is crazy just like a great like horrible squall of i mean beautiful set of notes actually but it just sounds incredibly again like on adam raised a cane it sounds guttural
Adam Raised Cain has some of Bruce's best ever lyrics, actually, because, I mean, anyone who has a complicated relationship with their father, I would say, read the lyrics to Adam Raised a Cain, and you'll, you'll be like, oh, fuck. <laughs> oh, damn. Oh, damn. It's, the, it's all there. <laughs> you know? <laughs> side one i do feel like one song that sticks out on the whole album is fucking vindicated it just seems at least at first listen it seems very upbeat and just yeah i'm vindicated fuck yeah yeah well i mean it's kind of it's kind of sardonic you know i feel so elated to be fucking vindicated i mean i don't really sound elated when i sing that i'm singing i i i mean i deliberately sing the whole thing like in a very sort of flat tone fucking vindicated i was right about you and people said you was wet but like when i say you're worse the earth than a barrel of crude like you know i sound fucked like i'm barely like holding the sentence Vindicated, I was right about you And people said you was cool It was too good to be true You're bad, by which I mean You're the shittiest dude You're worse for the earth Than a barrel of crude When I first saw you I got a bad vibe But at others' behest I put it to the side You come off like a cop Who works for the police Talking more inane shit Than a gaggle of geese Fucking vindicated Fucking vindicated I feel so elated to be fucking vindicated. Or as I could have like rapped it more energetically, you know, not literally rap, but or I could have sung it in a higher key or something that so there's more of a melody. Or I could have on the demo that I've got there's some harmonies on the chorus, and I didn't have harmonies on the chorus, I just kind of had myself like shouting along faintly in the background. Basically, so you've got on side one, it opens with side two, which is a nice breezy country rock <laughs> opening. But the sound I'd originally envisaged for this album was much more of a like fuck yeah, depression is awesome kind of well you know <laughs> not like all right so people with depression can still kick ass you know that that kind of yeah, sure. it was that kind of sound that i envisaged for the record it was going to be all big fucking chords and atonal schools of noise coming from my guitar and there is actually most of the guitar playing on this record is fucking nuts like i don't know if i could play uh, <laughs> i don't like I, I don't know if these are like solos i could replicate 
Some of them have. <laughs> like, I recorded Tombstone Bones twice, and the solo is quite similar on both takes. So maybe I could. Maybe there's more melody to them than I think. But something like, I listen to the lead guitar on Fickle, and I'm like, how did that happen? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but actually, you know, there's a lot more economy of arrangement on this record than my previous one. Even though it's got a wider musical palette, there's more keyboards on it, there's more harmonica there's more um, banjo <laughs> although all used fairly sparingly i did decide in the end to make piano part of the center of the arrangements on most of the songs but i couldn't be asked to overdub a piano on fucking vindicated in the end because i thought it was just like it kicked enough ass as it was but mostly you know it's kind of like on the last record there was this dense web of guitars on pretty much every track on this one I wanted to focus more attention on my playing on the guitar by having fewer tracks. So there'll be a, you know, a rhythm guitar track and a lead guitar track. Like maybe a a third one somewhere, you know. I think actually the ballad I Need the Sky has more guitars on it than most, you know. But it's not going for a heavy effect. It is more like the dense tangle of guitars that you heard on the last record on songs like Sunrise on the City or The Times in Between. But mostly, I decided in the end to sequence most of the songs that were like that, that were kind of a bit punky. I was inspired a lot by the New York Dolls, by Johnny Funders and the Heartbreakers, who are obviously a spin-off band of the New York Dolls, by Titus Andronicus and Patrick Stickles, is mate, an amazing songwriter and singer and artist he almost exclusively sings about the parlor state of his mental health and it's not got old for me you know several albums in he's still finding new and interesting ways to sing about being depressed and they're you know a great heavily bruce springsteen influenced punk rock bands so um definitely i it's actually waned a bit now but uh, you know a couple of months ago when most of this album was written and recorded i was very into punk rock and just kind of that so i wrote a few songs in that vein and these kind of set the tone for side one after the song side two then you got fickle fucking vindicated tombstone bones is a bit kind of i mean it's a short and concise track with some rocky elements but it's more country rock than punk rock the punk rock thing the punk rock thing about tombstone bones is that just kind of like the guitar on it is just a very like scrappy tone the album as a whole is an interesting fusion between sort of punk and country yeah 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 exactly and that is actually kind of like where i would say the center of gravity of my music is it is about at the end of the day like a kind of a country and folk type songwriting but in a musical context where there can be really really beastly guitar <laughs> that's pretty much like the, de- the determining force of my music I, I you know i write songs based almost entirely around simple major chords the last album I was talking about how there's not many minor key tracks on it. I think Paul Fell Over the Earth is the only minor key track on this record. So yeah, it's the longest one, but everything else is just like, duh, duh, you know, <laughs> but I thought fucking vindicated. So I wrote like three verses for it and I recorded a minute long demo. And then I was like, do I write more? And then no. <laughs> so I just put, I, I, I literally put in some guitar solos, which bulked it out to two minutes and i just thought like yeah this song is this song is rock and roll man this song is like lou reed 
Lou fucking Reed could have done this, man. Like, and, and it's just so scathing. It's not about anyone in particular, you know. It's about everyone. I, I was gonna ask, who are you feeling so fucking vindicated about? <laughs> no, no, it's genuinely not written about anyone in particular. But it's just about, you know, you meet someone, you're like, they're a bit. Of, oh, I don't really like this person, and then people are like, oh no, they're fine, they're my mate. And then after a little while, you are presented with evidence that bears out your initial impression. Right. It's definitely happened a fair few times, I think, for me. Yeah, it's a feeling that I'm sure a lot of people will have had. <laughs> it's not the kind of feeling I like to dwell on. It's probably why it's only a two-minute song. It's, <laughs> you know... But I think almost the fact that the song is a throwaway makes it such, um... You could hit repeat on it, you know? <laughs> it's kind of... Yeah. It's why it's so enjoyable. Like Tombstone Bones, it's got very, like, uh Kind of vocal delivery, like, I'm singing in a low key. <laughs> I know I shouldn't take pleasure in the wrong that you've done But I had you marked on day one You're a real slimy shaker and a mover for sure I'll show you my boot, which will show you the door Fucking vindicated Fucking vindicated You're so hated Fucking vindicated Fucking vindicated Fucking vindicated Fucking vindicated Fucking vindicated As I was sort of saying to you before we started recording, yeah, like in my opinion if you if you want the songs that are like really catchy and playable over and over, two, three and four are the way to go. Yeah, yeah, I Not think that so. that means the rest of the album isn't great, but they're super catchy. It is that thing of, like, I sequenced it deliberately so that all those songs would go together, so it's not kind of, like, all jarring tonal shifts. Um, yeah. You know, if it was really kind of, like, a consistent load of music, then I Can Live With It would go with them, but that was always going to be the final track, because I think when you've got tracks that are as despairing as Tombstone Bones, you need something that's slightly more upbeat to end it on. But with those songs, yeah, I guess they're probably a bit more Lou Reed than Neil Young, you know, but then again with Neil Young and On the Beach, which this is a nine track album, On the Beach has eight tracks, I think this is maybe a minute shorter than this record, but with that album there's five songs on the first side and three songs on the second side, you know, so it's it's like you have the shorter and breezier songs on the first side to start and then the second side is like you go deep. That's what the song Side 2 is kind of about, in a way. Side 2 is a metaphor for a change. Yeah. A, ch a change in dynamic, a change in tone. Getting to the deep cuts. <laughs> the final track on Side 1 is Talking Thunder. <laughs> what, um, what did you yes. think of this one? You know? Which, yeah, you did a remix of that one, right? I did, yeah. I sent you my new mix of Talking I, Thunder the other day. I think I only listened to the new mix like once or twice, but I, I've heard the original a few times. The difference is like just the vocals are turned up and like there's some banjo on it, I think, maybe. Oh, and the lead mm. guitar is turned up as well on the new mix. Right, yeah, yeah. It seems Cut. substantially similar, but definitely different to some extent, yeah. So I played this song for my mum and she said that the vocal, she couldn't hear what I was singing, so I 
that's why I remixed it. Right. I want my vocals to be at the center of this album, not because I think I'm a great singer or anything, just because the songs it's important don't make much it? sense. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I do think Talking Thunder makes a fantastic sort of transition from the vindicated part over to the Paul part of the album as it were it's got some of that heavy guitar hasn't it like the yeah rocking still but it's a lot more i don't know solemn yeah it's a kind of mid-tempo track but it's it is a hard rock song but it's not a kind of yeah <laughs> you know like the others this is yeah. really the only track on the album that is kind of written from the point of view of a character everything else in the album is is really just me you're talking thunder to me, baby More a murder of crows than a gaggle of geese You're talking thunder to me daily And the storm it just won't cease Each world more pretty than the last be pedagogue or priest They're talking thunder to me, baby And I can't get no relief but this one, my friend Dom sent me a long list of potential names for a band that he, he might release some of his solo music under I don't think he's gonna hastily name himself crazy moose or anything i think i was giving it a bit of thought but one of one of the names on there was talking thunder and 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 i said to him man you need to write a song called talking thunder with a beastly riff and he said you're welcome to it so i I, yeah yeah, i set to work writing talking thunder and the riff isn't as beastly as i liked but that solo in the middle maybe compensates a bit the lyrics are just about somebody who's just finding like everything too much like every interaction with people is too much i've definitely had times like that but right now you know i actually want to interact more with people i really wouldn't mind people talking a bit of thunder to me frankly but this is (laughs) from a point of view of you know you've been at the pub and you're just not in a good space and everyone's just fucking talking and talking and talking you just can't focus you can't concentrate and it's just kind of feel so alienated you know right 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 yeah when there's just like so much going on and it's not really to do with you or anything (laughs) well yeah exactly you know you're not the center of attention it's terrible (laughs) but but but, but no i mean a good thing about turning up the vocals on this track is that on the first track you can hear on the first verse you can hear clearly that i'm saying there talking thunder to me baby because it sounds it sounds a little bit like i'm i'm saying you're talking thunder to me baby because i say it in a Mm. there there it's kind of uh, after listening yeah after listening to a lot of Roger McGuinn, singer of the birds, I've got st- some strange pronunciations when I sing, but I didn't want it to sound like a song about a guy who's angry at his wife or something. I was real <laughs> it's really not. So the first You're verse under is under my thumb. Yeah, it's not it's not it's not my attempt at like a misogynist rock classic. It's and in fact, it thematically ties up side one and two. So in fucking vindicated, you've got talking more inane shit than a gaggle of geese and then just to show how going from the pissy annoyance of fucking vindicated to the genuine kind of like misanthropic beaten by the world 
desperation of Talking Thunder. The second line is more a murder of crows than a gaggle of geese. You come up like a cop who works for the police, talking more inane shit than a gaggle of geese. You're talking thunder to me, baby. More a murder of crows than a gaggle of geese. And then. So this is the main reason I kept this on the album. I didn't want two baby songs, because obviously I got, I'm fickle, baby. It's literally the first yeah. time I've <laughs> ever had baby on this album. And then you got, <laughs> sorry, I've ever used baby in a song. And then you've got another, they're talking third to me, baby. <laughs> so I was doing some real Dylanisms with the uh, vocal, just stretching <laughs> yeah. out certain, certain like, Third. I was like, how long can I stretch out the syllable and thunder? But there's another line right at the end. A sonic reflection of the ghastly pull that shrouds the land of thunder, baby. Striking way below the clouds. Am I getting thunder and lightning mixed up there in the presumably baked out state I wrote this song in? Probably, yes. But <laughs> it's that ghastly pull that shrouds the land of thunder. That's the obviously it, what leads yeah. into the next song it's a Pretty good safe. transition they're talking thunder to me baby in the madness of the crowd Still got the power to amaze me I've been talking to get so loud The sonic reflection of the ghastly power that the land of thunder, baby Striking way below the clouds yeah, so I, in the end, decided I'd keep this song on the album because it kicks ass a little bit. Your questions may sound innocuous, but you broke the golden rule. You're talking thunder to me, man. And that thunder turns me cruel. Uh, some, uh, there's some really good, like, man, man. So I, I didn't want it to be baby at the end of every verse on this one because we already yeah. have fickle. So I thought you'd have there's baby. There's a lot of ending it with man, I see. Yeah, <laughs> I thought you'd have baby, man, boss, and then back to baby for the final <laughs> verse. But it's more, it's not, like I say, it's not a misogynistic rock song. You can imagine that the protagonist in the first verse is kind of confiding in a loved one about how intense and horrible they're finding yeah. everything. And then you're back in the final verse they're doing the same for sure and i think structurally it is a very important song for the album definitely yeah and then we are on to not the song but the second side of the album side side two <laughs> they come out at night my peak attracted by the moon's They never know where it'll lead them. Earth spins around this full, turned over to side two. Side two. Turned over to side two. 
They were all just passing by Don't know if I looked them in the eye There just wasn't time To turn it over to side two Side It's exciting, it's young people, it's crowdsourcing.